You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How is everybody doing today? Can, can anybody just agree with me and testify along with me that there is joy in the house of the Lord today? Amen? Amen. Man, God is doing some incredible things here, and I am just, I am so elated to get to be the pastor of Christ Walk Church, and I am excited about all of the things that are happening here and all of the things that God is doing, the way that he has been moving in our services, and we are just getting started. We've only gotten a taste of what the Lord has in store for us. Can I get some agreement on that in the house this morning? All right. Uh, Today, we are in uh, part three of a series called Not Feeling It, where we've been talking about how we can handle those seasons of life when it seems that God is nowhere to be found. We've been taking a look at what are some of the reasons for those seasons, what is our response to those seasons, and and what does the Bible have to say about it all? And two weeks ago in part one, we took a a look at Psalm uh, chapter 88, and we talked about four truths that you and I need to remember when life just stinks, and how even though we may not be able to feel God, we can remain faithful because he is always faithful. And last week in part two, we took a look at John chapter six, and we talked about the reason and the requirement for following Jesus, along with what our response should be in the process. Um, and we learned that, that it may not always be easy to follow Jesus, but it is always worth it. And so if you've missed any of those two, any of the first two parts of this series, you can go to our YouTube channel or you can go to, um, to our podcast. You can find those on our website and uh, give those a listen so that you will be caught up. Today, we're, we're going to continue our series with part three by taking a look at a passage from the New Testament, again, out of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, and then we're going to ultimately connect that to a passage out of Paul's letter to the Galatians. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 7. So if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, um, you want to turn with me or swipe with me and, and, and land there. And then eventually we're going to move to Galatians um, chapter 5 and we'll be there to, to kind of close out. So uh, Romans 7 and then stick a finger in Galatians 5 and we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. Um, I, in the line of work that, that I'm in, uh, I, I have the opportunity to be around a lot of people, which means that quite often I get to meet new people. I'll be traveling, um, you know, going someplace or just out in the community. And um, I guess I just have one of those faces. I don't know. People like to talk to me. Um, I'm a bit of an extrovert, so I don't shy away from that. And, you know, I can talk to a perfect stranger in the middle of the grocery store and it'll be just fine. And, and Typically, when the conversation circles around to, so what do you do for a living or or what's your line of work or whatever, and people find out that I'm a pastor, um, we eventually, if it's not the first question, it's usually one one of the first questions that they ask. They ask me, so do you play golf? Like, for whatever reason... 
playing golf is one of the stereotypical assumptions that are made about pastors, along with we only work one day a week and all we talk about is money. The third one is that we play golf. And when someone asks me if I play golf, I usually respond in the same way. I I, I respond by saying, well, I own a set of clubs. Because the truth is, I don't so much play golf as I like to say that golf plays me, really. Like, don't get me wrong, like, I enjoy golf, but I'm usually so busy working my one day, of week, one day a week that um, I just don't have enough time to get out to the course, uh, but, you know, maybe just a handful of times a year. Um, but but I, I, do, I do love going out to play, and, and don't get me wrong, I can drive the ball 300-plus yards, 150 this way and 150 that way. <laughs> Or, depending on the day, maybe 150 this way and 150 that way, you know, however the wind's blowing that day. Um, and, and whenever I do play golf, I certainly get my money's worth. You know, I've played with some guys, and they'll go out to the golf course, and they'll only take like 65, 70, 75 strokes. I'm going to get in at least 95, maybe 100. Sometimes even more than that. You know, I like to get my money's worth. And, and one of the things that I love about golf is that I get to be out in nature. And, and I love it because I'm constantly getting to explore the woods and the beach and the rivers and lakes and streams. It's awesome. But when it comes to golf, my biggest claim to fame when it comes to golf is I am the king of snatching triple bogey out of the jaws of par. Yes, that is how I roll when it comes to playing golf. Once I was playing on this course, it was a par three. There was a water hazard in front of the green, which was on an uphill kind of slope. And then there was, um, there was a, a, a sand trap to the left of the green and then a sand trap on kind of the back right-hand side of the green. And, and I'm, I'm happy to announce that, that on, on that, that, that approach shot from the tee box, I did not go in the water, which is, you know, kind of atypical for me. So I made it over the water, only I landed in the sand trap to the left. And so I was getting up there to, um, you know, to, to hopefully get it up and in to, to get the par. And I got a little bit too much of the ball in the sand trap, not quite enough sand behind the ball. And so I ended up from that sand trap over the green into the sand trap on the backside of, of the green. And, and so, you know, I did the walk of shame around to the other sand trap and I got there and then this time I bladed the ball with the edge of my sand wedge and ended up skipping it across the green down the hill and into the water hazard that I had originally avoided off of the tee and it was at that point that I just drove straight to the clubhouse turned in my cart came home put my clubs on Facebook marketplace and never thought it no I didn't really do that but I did think about it like a whole bunch a whole, whole bunch. And see, here's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm pretty physically coordinated. I've played sports all my life. I, I know how to play golf. I know the rules. I know all of the things that, that I'm supposed to do to keep that kind of stuff from happening. I, I watch professional golf on TV. Sometimes I watch professional golf on TV through closed eyelids. Anybody? Anybody, it's the best like Sunday afternoon nap right there with golf on. I've read all of the tips and tricks in Golf Digest magazine, to which I once upon a time had a subscription to. 
I've watched the tutorials and the infomercials on the golf channel. I know what all of the technical aspects of the golf swing are, what they should be, what they should look like, but I just can't seem to manufacture it in my own game when I go out to the range or to the course. And, and I've discovered that this kind of thing also, it, it often uh, tends to play out in our walk with Christ as well. Like we know all of the things that we're supposed to do, but the difficulty is in actually making them happen in our life. We know that we shouldn't tell that dirty joke, but we do anyways. We, we know that we shouldn't lose our temper and yell at our spouse or our kids, but we do anyways. We know that we shouldn't give the finger to that car that cut us off in traffic, especially if you have a Christ Walk Church sticker on your vehicle. We know we shouldn't do that anyways, but we do sometimes. And then we feel really embarrassed when we realize it was the pastor of Christ Walk that cut us off. I'll forgive you if you'll forgive me. We know we shouldn't use that kind of language when our team goes to Lexington, Kentucky and loses for the first time in 35 years, but we do... Anyways, we know we shouldn't take a second look at that person who isn't our spouse, but we do anyways. We know that after everybody's gone to bed and the house is quiet and silent, that we shouldn't go to that website or we shouldn't pull up that movie on Netflix, but we do Anyways, and this list could go on and on, and no matter what it is, no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to do what we know we should do, what we know we are supposed to do, even the things that we want to do. And we get stuck in this cycle of sin, regret, repentance, sin, regret, repentance, sin, regret, repentance, until one day we finally arrive at the place where we're wondering, number one, why hasn't God helped us overcome this stuff already? And number two, if it's been this long and we haven't been able to overcome it, and this is how it's going to be, then what is the point of even trying anymore? And the good news is that, that Paul addresses this exact thing in his letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 7. I love how the Bible just kind of works this stuff out for us. And even though it was written thousands of years ago, it still applies to our situation today. So Romans chapter 7, hopefully you've turned there, you've swiped there. We're going to start in verse 14. Sorry, I was yelling a little bit last night. Paul writes this, he says, so the trouble, starting in verse 14 of Romans 7, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows me that the law is good, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Verse 19, 
I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Verse 22. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? A couple notes here before we move on any further is that it's important for us to see that what Paul is talking about here is that that sin is at the root of all of this. When we find ourselves in in a season of life like this where, where God seems so distant, so far away from us that often sin is the sole reason that that is taking place. Sin is the very thing that separated us from God in the first place. We look all the way back at the beginning, all the way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And we see that sin, where initially heaven and earth overlapped there in the garden because of Adam and Eve's, uh, they, they succumbed to temptation and they gave in to sin and they disobeyed God. It separated them from, from uh, their heavenly father. And you and I, we are paying, we're, we're, we're dealing with the ramifications of that all of these thousands of years later. And, and it's important for us to understand that the devil's tactics are to pick us off one at a time by isolating us and convincing us that God and even other people that are around us, that, that they don't care about us and that God has abandoned us. He's completely turned his back on us. That's how, that's how he operates. You've, you've watched the National, National Geographic channel. You've seen how lions, they hunt in the savannah and they, they, they get the, the, the weak and the, 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 the diseased zebra or wildebeest or whatever it is. And they, they, they hurt it, they get it away and isolate it from the rest of the pack. And they let the, the big pack go along and then they just take out everything on the one that's been isolated. That's how the devil operates. And one by one, those of us that are hurting and that we're broken and we find ourselves in these seasons, these cycles, and it seems like God is so far away, the devil will use that to, to isolate us, to get us away from everyone else. We, we have a tendency as humans, we've talked about this before, that, that in the midst of our struggles, our, our natural inclination is to pull back rather than to lean in, and we feed right into the enemy's plan. But whenever you and I, whenever we find ourselves, whenever we experience a a not-feeling-it season, rather than wondering why God seems to be nowhere to be found and why he's turned his back on us, what we should first do is consider, is there anything present in my own life? Is there anything taking place in our own lives that are creating the separation that we are feeling? I love this quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He says, if you find yourself far from God, remember, he isn't the one who moved. And so if you're in a situation, if you're in a season, a not feeling it season, and it seems like God is so far away, it's highly possible and likely that he's not the one that moved away from you, but perhaps you are the one that moved away from him. 
Paul is, he's highlighting here the juxtaposition between our old nature, that person that we were before Christ, and then our new nature, that that person that we are after salvation in Jesus. And he talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you probably know this verse. It, It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And so that's the picture that, that Paul is painting. When, when I read passages like this, I think of like, you know, TV shows where you see a person and they're having to make a decision and they've got an angel on one shoulder and a demon or a devil on the other shoulder. And, and both of those, they're, one by one, they're whispering in that person's ear and that person is trying to determine which one of those voices am I going to listen to. Or I think of, maybe you're a comic book fan, I think of The Incredible Hulk. Like Bruce Banner doesn't want to turn into the Hulk. He's constantly trying to find ways to to stay calm because you don't want to make him angry. The biggest reason he doesn't want to get angry is because he's tired of buying all those clothes. (laughs) Wouldn't you get angry after that after a while? Except, and I can't figure out for the life of me, it doesn't matter what kind of pants he's wearing. They always turn into purple shorts. (laughs) Ripped off at the knee. Everything else... Just bust right off of him, except for those purple britches. He could be wearing jeans, khakis, it don't matter. They're going to turn it. I don't get it. I don't get it. That's how the Hulk works. It's this tug of war that we get, we get caught in the middle of, and maybe you're in a situation or a circumstance right now where, where you feel jerked back and forth. Like you're going to be torn apart because are you going to give in to that old nature, that old self, that old man? Are you going to surrender, submit to that new life in Christ? And it's ripping us apart. And ultimately what happens is we go through these seasons. In the midst of that, we feel like we're the ones that land face first with our heads down in the mud. And Paul, what he's saying is, is that we need to understand that in, in our old nature, there is no good. There is no good in our old nature. In the next chapter of Romans, in in chapter 8, verse 7, Paul says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. In our old nature, there is no good. And that's what we're trying to get away from. But then Paul highlights here in our passage in in chapter 7, the difficulty, because In our old nature, there is no good, but the difficulty comes in because in our new nature, there is no power. Paul says, I do the things that I hate. Even though I'm I'm surrendered and I'm submitted to Christ, I still, I I find myself, I do the things that I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. He says, there is another power within me that makes me a slave to sin. It's that old nature that no matter what, it continues to rear its ugly head in our life. It gets us in these seasons and these cycles. And this is where many of us find ourselves today. We find ourselves stuck in this cycle of sin, knowing what we should do, but being completely and unable, uh, completely and totally unable to do it. We're teetering on the edge, and some of us, perhaps here in this room, perhaps watching with us online, some of us are considering just throwing in the towel and giving up. 
If you find yourself in that spot today or you want to be sure that, that you don't end up in that spot or if you do find yourself in that spot in the future, how to, how to get out of it, I want to highlight three areas or three really relationships that you and I, we need to lean into when we're not feeling it. So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, three relationships we need to lean into when we're not feeling it. And the first one of those relationships is the word of God. First, we need to, we need to lean into the word of God and our relationship with God's word. See, the good news is for us today is that Paul's, Paul's uh, uh, discourse in Romans 7 doesn't end with who's going to save me. Who's going to save me from, from this slavery to sin? And it doesn't end with that, that question where he's trying to figure all of this out. It, it continues in, in, in verse 25 where Paul has asked the question, who's going to save me from this life that is dominated by sin and sickness and death? And he continues in verse 25. He says, thank God for the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And he continues on in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Initially, when Paul would have written this, it just would have been one long letter. There wouldn't have been these divisions. And so this same thought continues over in, into chapter 8. Uh, beginning with verse 1, and he says, he, he, he closes out chapter 7 by saying, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And then he continues that thought, and he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The solution to our problem, what Paul is saying here, the solution to our problem, this, this cycle, this season that we find ourselves in, the solution to our problem is Jesus, who is the living word of God. In John chapter 1, verse 14, John writes this. He says, So the Word became human, became flesh, and made his home among us here on the earth. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So, as I often say, I just want to remind you that when we engage with this book, we are engaging with the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was nothing that this word does not say. And this word does not say anything that is different than who Jesus was. When we engage with this book, when we engage with the word of God, we are engaging with the person of Jesus Christ who was the word and became flesh and dwelt among us. So when we feel like God, when we feel like Jesus is so far away from us, the truth is, is that he's been right here the whole time. We've just chosen to ignore him. He's been right here. See, in, in, in order to get out and, and stay out of the cycle of sin, the first step that you and I need to take is to get into the word. We need to read our Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare us and to equip his people to do every good 
work. There's benefit to the Bible. There's a reason that God gave it to us. The Bible is inspired, Paul says. He says it's useful. It declares the truth. It helps us to realize what is wrong about the world and about our life and about our place in it. It helps us to, uh, helps to correct us when we are wrong. It teaches us what is right. It doesn't just scold us and say, you're wrong here, but it also says, here's how to fix it. Not only are you wrong, but here's what you can do to right the ship. It says it prepares and equips us to fulfill God's calling in our life. I love what David Paul Kirkpatrick says. He says, we don't read the Bible. The Bible reads us. That's what Paul is getting at. When we lean in to our relationship with God's word, the Bible is going to read us and it's going to point out the areas in our life that aren't in proper order. And then it's gonna show us how to get back on track and in alignment with what God is wanting to do in our life. Psalm 119 verses 11 and then 105. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The Bible shows us the path to take and it keeps us away from sin. When we get into God's word, that's what it's doing. It's illuminating. These are the steps you need to take. Don't go over there because that's the sin place. You need to stay right here in this lane, moving in this direction. That's what the Bible is going to help with. Every single day, you and I, we need to engage with the Bible. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to pray it. We need to memorize it. We just need to have it as a part of our life. We cannot live without the Bible. Now, I believe that one of the biggest reasons that so many of us struggle with sin and the reason that, so, that, that our, our world, our country is in such a bad way right now is because we simply don't have a healthy relationship with the word of God. If we could fix that, a whole lot of other things would fall into place. And, and, and let me point out a little sidebar. Maybe you're, maybe you're asking a question right now. So it's spilled over into, into Romans 8, and I read verse 1. It says, and I've been talking a lot. I wanted everybody to be comfortable this morning. That's why I wanted to talk about sin. <laughs> I wanted to make you comfortable. So maybe you're asking, like, what's all this talk about sin and separation from God? I, I thought that, that Paul said that there wasn't condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So, so which is it? Like, pick a side. And, and for anyone asking that question... That's a great question. I'm so glad that you asked it. I'm so glad that you thought of it. See, for those of us that have placed our, our faith in Jesus as Savior, we will not face the punishment of sin because of Christ's work on the cross. However, this is not an excuse for us to sin simply because we won't be punished for it. In, in Romans 6, a, a, a chapter earlier, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And, and yes, it's true. While, while the grace and forgiveness of Jesus may allow us to escape the punishment for sin, it does not remove the consequences. 
and, and living a holy life in alignment with and in agreement with the principles of God's word is hands down the best way to live. That's what Paul is getting at. And, and the way that we do that is by first and foremost, leaning in to our relationship with God's word through regular, consistent and, and, and fa- a regular, consistent and faithful approach to Bible reading and Bible study and Bible memorization. So that's number one. We're gonna lean into our relationship with God's word. Number two, we, we lean into our relationship with the spirit of God. Not just the word of God, but the spirit of God. Paul continues in Romans 8, verses 2 through 4. He says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, that old, that old way of life, but instead we follow the spirit. So now, whereas we said the, the old way of life wants to constantly drag us down and the, the problem with, with, with the new man, the, the new in, in Christ, is that, that in, our, in our physical bodies that we're powerless, here's where the power source comes in. Because Paul is saying now it's all about life in the spirit, living in, in agreement with, following after, in accordance to the spirit. Because before Christ, we're submitted to sin. It's our nature, it's all we know, and it's all that we can produce. We can look in the mirror. We are terrible, depraved people. And I myself am the chief among them. Welcome to Christ's walk where I'm the pastor. That's who we are. But that's the old way of life where we're submitted. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, here's the, here's the truth and, and the thing that we need to wrap our arms around this morning. When we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, we no longer have to surrender to the power of sin. We don't have to live that way anymore. 1 John 3, 9 says this, it says, those who have been born into God's family do not make practice of sinning because God's life is in them. God's spirit is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. Romans 8, 12, a little bit later in the section that we're reading, Paul writes this, he says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So the Holy Spirit then comes in as the power source for our new nature in Jesus Christ that allows us to say no to the the urges of the old nature which lead us into sin. In the Gospels, in John 14, verse 26, John writes this, he says, but but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And so the question is, well, what did God tell us? Well, it's right here in his word. 
And see, what happens is, is when we have a right and a healthy relationship with God's word, then when we find ourselves in these struggles and, and in these circumstances and, and we've got a decision to make and we're trying to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God and are in alignment with his word, what happens is, is the Holy Spirit rushes in and takes over and reminds us of the things that we have, we've learned and studied and memorized in our interaction with God through his word and, and calls that so, that so that then we don't give in to sin because we, we come into that situation and the Holy Spirit says, no, remember the Bible says, God's word says this, you don't have to make that decision. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to move in that direction. And so instead we move in God's direction. So if, if we have a relationship with God's word, then, then that becomes a, a, a hitch point that connects us to the power of the Holy Spirit. And both of those things work together so that we can become more like Jesus in our life. Romans eight twenty six, Paul says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness where we've turned our back on that old man, but it's still rear, he still rears his ugly head and, and our new nature that's, that's clothed in righteousness and put on Christ. We want to live for God so badly, but that old man constantly pulls us back in. The Holy Spirit is that power source that helps us that when we're weak, the Holy Spirit says, here, this is what you need to live the way that you need to live so that you don't get caught up in that cycle of sin anymore. And when we choose to open our life to the work of the Holy Spirit, it supercharges us to overcome the grip of sin and the lifestyle uh, and to live the lifestyle of holiness to which God has called us. And, and Paul continues this thought in his letter to the church in Galatia. So if you got your finger there, Galatians 5, we're going to read a chunk. It's kind of a well-known chunk. Galatians 5, starting with verse 16, we're going to go through 25. Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what our sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting against each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before... That anyone, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So then the question is, how do we know if we're being led 
by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says the identifying factor is look at the fruit that's being produced in your life. If it's the first list, that's not it. But if it's the second list, that's a pretty good indicator that you're plugged in to the right power source. If there's love there, if there's joy there, if there's peace there, on and on and on. That's how we tell that we're living by the Spirit. So if we're not getting the fruit that we desire, start planting different seeds. If we're not getting the fruit, if we're not producing the kind of fruit that we want to produce, start planting a different seed. So first, when we find ourselves in a not feeling it season, the first relationship we need to lean into is the word of God. The second relationship is the spirit of God. And then finally, the third relationship we got to lean into is the people of God. The people of God. And see, this, this third component, it's, it's often discounted or overlooked. But if we want to overcome the grip of sin in our life, we would do well not to ignore it. Coming right out of his fruit of the spirit discourse in Galatians 5, Paul continues over in Galatians Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. The fact of the matter is that you and I, we were created from the very beginning. We were created to be in community. It's why all the way back in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and he looked at his, his incredible creation, this man, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he created a helper. He created someone to be with him. You and I, we were created to be in community, in a relationship, not just with God, but with others as well. And, and true, you may be able to engage in God's word alone, and you may be able to experience the, the spirit of God alone, but you cannot share in someone else's burden alone. The command that's given here for us to share in each other's burdens, it requires each other. We, we need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need me. And then tell them, and I need you too. But as I mentioned before, why is it, knowing all of this, why is it then that when life gets tough, that we have the tendency to isolate ourselves? We have the tendency to, to pull back rather than to lean into relationships with others. It's, it's because that's our sin nature. That's the, the old man at work. The old person, the, the person before Christ, rearing his ugly head, that, that's, that's who we used to be. And, and, and that's what bubbles up. Because the devil knows that there's power in community. The devil knows that, that there's power in doing life with other believers, so he wants to keep you away from that at all costs. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter in the, in the New Testament, he writes this in, in James 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. 
Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. James isn't right. If you're experiencing this, that you need to grab hold of the mercy seat and cry out to God. And I mean, yeah, there's certainly a place for that. But James's prescription for the things that you and I experience on a regular basis is you got to get around some people. You got to call for the elders. You got to be in, in fellowship and community with, with the leadership of your church. And if you're struggling in sin, you don't have to call the pastor. You call a friend and you say, hey, I'm dealing with something. Can you help me? Will you pray for me? We link arms with each other. If you're in a not feeling it season today, you just need some people. We need to be around some people. A lot of us are in this situation that we're in because we're trying to go it alone and we're reluctant to just step out in bold faith and come clean with somebody about our struggles and give them permission to speak into our life. This is why we, why we bang the drum of life groups around here so much. That's why it's so important for us to be an intentional, purposeful, biblical community. Because the answer isn't less people and isolation from the crowd. And oh no, if I get out among people, they may find out what I'm dealing with. The Bible says that's a good thing because that's the only way that you're going to get free from it. The answer isn't less people and less isolation. It's more people and greater interaction. We got to find that person. Who is it in your life or, or who is it that, that you're, you're near, you're close to, that you admire for their walk with Christ? You need to reach out to that person and say, hey, can I buy you coffee? Hey, can I take you to lunch? You need to get that person and you need to find out what it is that they're doing that's causing them to be so successful and asking them to hold you accountable to doing those things in your own life. It's not about pulling back. It's we got to lean into relationships. We've got to constantly surround ourselves with other people that are moving in the same direction that we want to go, that are becoming who we want to be. Find that person and follow them as they follow Christ. We do it together, not alone. Some of you, the, the, the main thing that you could do, you could walk out of here and you could go to that green next step stint. You could say, hey, I need to get in a life group. I got to surround myself with some people. There was a ladies' life group that met at my house yesterday morning. It was over at noon. There were still ladies there at one. It's the power of community. It's awesome. I wasn't upset at all whatsoever. It did not stop me from walking in and turning on football on TV. I just let them stay in the kitchen and talk. It was incredible. You can stay as long as you want. I'm just going to sit here and watch this. It was beautiful. Did my pastor heart some good? There's community happening. And, and this isn't just something that I talk about. This is something that, that we're engaged in. And that, that's, that's, uh, we're in Brett and Amanda Eversoul's life group. And, and we've stopped calling it a life group. It's, it's, it's not a small group. It's a small church now. There are like 30 people that are coming together. It's awesome. My favorite Sundays of the month. The opportunities that we get to be in community with other people. Why? Because that's how we were designed. And so if you're missing out on that stuff in your life, what are you waiting for? Get in it. Get in it. 
I say all that to say, I could talk till I'm blue in the face. Some of y'all are ready for me to shut up. I'm getting ready to. But I say all that to say this. Ultimately, what I think Paul is communicating here is that Jesus didn't sacrifice his life for us to stay stuck. Jesus didn't sacrifice so that we could stay stuck. He's given us all the tools that we need. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his people, each other, so that you and I can live free, so that you and I can live for something more. And the truth is, you show me somebody who's regularly engaging with their Bible, who's open to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life and who is involved in biblical community with other believers. And I'll show you someone who's growing in relationship with Jesus Christ and who's overcoming sin in their life. It's a guarantee. If you're doing those three things, that will be the result. Why? Because the Bible says so. The Bible says so. I'm a simple man. No amen, Sarah? No. I'm a simple man, and that's enough for me. Because the Bible says so. Because that's how we were created. That's how it's supposed to be. It's not these high and lofty hoops that you and I have to stretch and strain to get through. It's just, I'm going to lean into my my relationship with God's word. I'm going to be open to the 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 Holy Spirit's move in my life. And I'm just gonna get around other people who are trying to live the way that I'm trying to live. And we're gonna do life together. I guarantee if you do those three things, you'll see your relationship with Jesus just blow off the map. It'll be awesome. I'm experiencing that in my life. And it's so good that I want that for all of you. I want that for all of you. That begins by first stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today or you're watching with us online and you've never done that, you've never fully surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me and to enter into covenant relationship with God through his son, Jesus, today. We just pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And today I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.